0: Last week, uh, Riona travelled to Glasgow to attend the memorial service of George Verwa. George Verwa was the founder of a missionary organisation called Operation Mobilisation, OM. And OM is now one of the largest missionary groups in the world. It has 3,500 workers in over 147 different countries around the world, and there are quite a few people in our church who have been involved in some way. Riona worked for OM, Sheila did five missionary trips with OM to places like Albania, and Ray's nephew and family worked on one of the ships that OM take around the world, spreading the message of Jesus in different ports. Millions of people have heard about Jesus through the work of OM. And George Burwell's great desire was for all the world to hear about the love of God. It was the love of God that drove him out to tell the far corners of the globe about Jesus. One tribute I read to uh, George this week said this, in terms of the sheer range of activities, I think OM is unparalleled. I think George is the preeminent North American missionary statesman of the last 60 years. He has had a remarkable ministry. But George was not always a model example. Growing up, he was a bit of a tearaway. away. He spent most of his time chasing girls, and getting into trouble. On one occasion, he started a fire that burnt down a wood, and on another, he broke into someone's home and was caught by the police. As a young man, George looked set for a very different life indeed. But that last episode with the police inspired a surprising turn of events. There was a local Christian woman called Dorothea Clapp. And she spent 18 years praying for local students. And she particularly prayed for the worst behaved. And on hearing about the break in, Dorothea set about praying for George. She put him on her Holy Spirit hit list, as she called it. And as well as praying for George, she also sent him a copy of John's Gospel. For the rest of his ministry, George credited the work of God through the prayers of Dorothea Clapp for turning his life around. So, In many ways, the story of George Verwa is a surprising one. God chose a troublemaker to start a huge missionary organisation. God worked through the prayers of an insignificant old woman that no one has ever heard of. And from very humble beginnings in New Jersey, a work began that has blessed people, even in this church on Isla, so far away. God works in surprising ways. And that's what we're going to see in our passage from 2 Kings 5. In this story of Elisha and Naaman... There are three big surprises that we need to think about. The first surprise is this. God loves to bless outsiders. He loves to work in the lives of foreigners. And his great desire is to bring all the nations into his people. Now this might not seem a big surprise to us today, here as we are, thousands of miles from Israel, but it certainly was at the time. Did you know that Jesus once retold this story of Elisha and Naaman in a synagogue in Nazareth? And by the time he'd finished telling this story, a crowd of very pious, devout, church-going Jews tried to throw him off a cliff. Why? Because Jesus used this story to make the point that God has always wanted to bless foreigners. He's always wanted to bring the outsiders in. And you can go home and read that for yourself. It's in Luke chapter 4. God loves all people. He wants all the nations to come together as one. His kingdom will be utterly multicultural. And that was a big surprise in ancient Israel. Let's have a think about Naaman for a moment. There are many reasons why he was a great outsider. First of all, he was a foreigner. He was not a Jew. He came from Aram. As a result, he didn't worship the God of Israel, he bowed to the idol Rimmon Instead, Naaman was a foreigner. Second, Naaman was an enemy. In fact, worse than that, he was the general of the enemy army. And recently, he'd won a great battle victory over Israel, a victory that had led to many innocent Israelites being taken into captivity. Naaman was the hated, detested enemy of God's people. Thirdly, Naaman was unclean. As the passage begins, we soon learn that he has a skin disease. He was a leper. Naaman would have been seen as a contagious danger to the community. And his being unclean would have also barred him from going in to the temple. Naaman was then an outsider in almost every way you can imagine. He was a foreigner, he was an enemy, he was richly unclean. No Jew would have believed that God wanted anything at all to do with him. And of course that cut both ways. Naaman equally had no idea about Israel's God. He certainly did not understand how he worked. When Naaman arrived in Israel looking for healing, he brought with him stacks and stacks of money, over four tons of silver and gold. He presumed that Israel's God worked like some sort of divine vending machine. You put in the money and out comes the prize. He thought he could buy his healing. Naaman also expected Israel's God to work with some sort of dramatic display that some great trick would come about by a, a showman or a magician. He's genuinely disappointed when he's asked just to go and wash in the River Jordan seven times. He could have washed in a river back at home. The text tells us that Naaman had been expecting Elijah to come out and wave his hand around and cast some magical abracadabra over him. So we see just how much an outsider Naaman is. He's a foreigner, he's an enemy, he's unclean, and he has no clue about how God works. He's only used to pagan worship, full as it is of bribery and magic. Naaman really is a long way off. He is the last person you would expect God to bless. But of course, wonderfully, that is exactly what happens. Naaman washes himself in the river Jordan and a great miracle takes place and his leprosy is cured. In fact, his flesh is restored to that of a young boy. But let's not miss the point in all of this. Elisha announced at the beginning why this would take place. It would be so that Naaman came to know the one true God. You see, the River Jordan is very significant in this story. The Jews had to cross the River Jordan in order to enter the Promised Land. As Naaman plunges into it seven times and finds himself cleansed, he too crosses over into God's people. In verse 15 he makes a great statement of faith. Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And he's really genuine in this. These are not just empty words. Naaman backs this up with action. He offers all of his money. He offers Elisha all his worldly goods. He then gathers a barrow load of soil so that he can go home and he can stand on the earth to make his prayers to God. He also asks for forgiveness in advance for those moments when he knows that his master, the king, will urge him to bow down to Rimmon in the temple. He knows he won't be praying to that idol, but he will need to pretend to do so, otherwise the king will have him out. There are many Muslims in the world today who do this. They say their prayers alongside the others to prevent persecution, but all the time they're really praying to Jesus. This is the reality of worshiping God in a fallen world. There is no doubt that Naaman is genuine. He is sincere. He has crossed the Jordan. He has entered God's people. The most unlikely outsider has become an insider. In the kingdom of God and this great surprise is summed up in the words of Elisha when he says in verse 19 go in peace go in peace God has blessed this foreigner and welcomed him in and this healing is a sign of his limitless love as I said a few moments ago, Jesus himself used this story to remind us that this has always been God's plan. He wants to draw the nations in to one big family. And we know that this will be fulfilled once and for all on the cross. That when Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross, he welcomed all people in. Through his bloodshed, we are cleansed from the leprosy of our sin on being healed naaman was made fit to go into god's temple to worship in his presence we know through the cross we are made fit to live in the presence of god for eternity and there there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping the lord So this is surprise number one god blesses outsiders and george burwood definitely got this that's why he went right around the world and may it also transform the way that we think about people who are different to us the second big surprise in this story is that god loves to speak through the weak George Verwa's life was transformed through the prayers of an insignificant woman. And just look how similar that is to Naaman. As we've just seen, Naaman knew next to nothing about Israel's God. The only way that he comes to hear of the Lord is through the courage of a young servant girl speaking up. She was a captive someone so insignificant to this day we still don't know her name listen again to verses two and three now bands of raiders had taken captive a young girl from israel and she served naaman's wife and she said to her mistress if only my master would see the prophet who is in samaria he would cure him of his leprosy now when you think about it this is a very surprising moment That young girl could well have been forgiven for thinking, well, Naaman, he deserved this leprosy. This enemy general, he deserved his disease for the havoc he'd caused and for the personal suffering that he'd caused to her. She could have been full of rage and revenge and bitterness. But no, instead she courageously speaks up and tells Naaman's wife about how he might be healed. She points to Elisha, God's representative in the land. It's an extraordinary moment, a a really surprising moment. Here is a young girl giving instructions to an army general. Here is a young girl who has more faith in the power of God than even the king of Israel who gets completely flustered when the letter arrives telling him that Naaman is on the way. And this happens time and time again in the Bible. God loves to speak through surprising and unexpected people. The Apostle Paul tells us that God speaks through the weak to shame the wise and the strong. He speaks through the small people so that his power gets recognized. In this story, the healing is released partly because a young captive girl had the courage to speak up. George Verwer's life was transformed because an onlooking woman dedicated her life to praying for him. And God still works through surprising people today. He works through people like you and me, people who are not particularly confident, people who are not particularly eloquent, people who are not rich or trendy or powerful. He uses people like us to share his good news. We are just to speak about Jesus and direct people to him. And God will do the rest. So we've encountered two big surprises. God loves to bless outsiders. God loves to speak through the week. There's one more to come. The third great surprise in this story is that money is not everything. Everything. Now this really is a surprise in our world today when everyone is more and more after money. Be they footballers chasing multi-million pound contracts in the new transfer window, be they Isla distillery selling bottles of whiskey for tens of thousands of pounds, or be they ordinary men and women like us constantly trying to push ourselves up the career ladder. We're almost conditioned in the world today to think that the sole object of life Is making money and then of course spending it on ourselves and actually this is nothing new in the ancient world it was thought that wealth was a sign of God's blessing if you had money and riches well you were a great person indeed but this story turns that wisdom on its head money is not the most important thing not even close listen again Naaman comes back now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel so please accept a gift from your servant but Elisha answered as surely as the Lord lives I will not accept a thing even though Naaman urged him he refused Elisha turns down vast wealth That is on offer to him. He turns down four tons of gold and silver and all the regal clothes that came with them. Even when Naaman urged him to take them. But of course, sadly the same could not be said for his servant Gehazi though, could it? At the end of the story, bemused by Elisha's refusal, Gehazi goes after the money for himself. Maybe Gehazi thought he could justify himself. The life of the Prophet was a hard one. You don't get many perks. Maybe Gehazi was the treasurer. You never know. There might be another drought ahead. We'll put some money by just in case. I don't know. Maybe Gehazi made all sorts of excuses to himself. But of course, they're only a mask for greed. And Gehazi knows he's in the wrong because in order to get the money, he has to lie. Chases after Naaman and he makes up a story about guests coming to stay and they needing to have money to feed them. It's pure deceit. Deceit that shows Gehazi's real intentions. And Elisha, full of God's spirit, uh, has been able to see what Gehazi has done and understandably he's very upset about it. But we need to look carefully at what he says. Because it tells us why The love of money is so dangerous. Verse 26 Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards, flocks or herds or slaves? Elisha challenges Gehazi, Is this the time? Is this the time? To go grasping after money. Don't you see, Gehazi? Taking money at this point completely ruins the message that God is trying to communicate. God is trying to show the world that he loves outsiders. He loves to bless foreigners, no matter who they are or what they have done. He longs to do this as a free gift of grace. A sign of his unmerited love. But if you take the money now, it looks as though God is using the outsiders. It looks as though he's drawing them in because he wants their money. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because God is no man's debtor. Don't you see, when we develop a love of money, it utterly distracts us from what God is really doing. When Emily and I uh, were living in London, we would regularly read articles full of scorn for a few local ministers in South London who drove around in Ferraris. It, It sent out a terrible message. It made it look as though the church were exploiting the vulnerable who came to them week by week, rather than trying to bless them. And people who think that money is everything in the church are a great danger. And that's why Gehazi ends up with such a serious judgment. He takes on the leprosy that Naaman was cleansed from. God is far more important than money. And serving him is a far greater honor than becoming rich. God welcomes people into his kingdom without payment. He does it because he loves them. And we have to make sure that that is our message to the world. So there we finish. The story of Elisha and Naaman. It's a surprising one. It shows us that God loves to bless outsiders. He will bring anyone in to his people. It shows us that God loves to speak through the weak, And money is not everything. I wonder which of those surprises us the most. Maybe God is trying to say something to us through that surprise. This is a story both of wonderful encouragement but also great challenge. May it inspire us to go and tell all the world about the love of God for them.